Well, good morning. As Luke said, my name is Gabby. For those of you guys who don't know me, um, I have been coming to the Spring Midtown now for almost a year. Um, we moved here from DC, and so which is almost a year ago. So we moved here to Phoenix, and the first Sunday back, we were here at Midtown. So it's been a joy to be here with you guys. And um, I started going to the Spring Tempe, actually, back in 2011. So I really love the Spring. I love what we're doing here in this church. I love being a part of this community. So thank you for having me. It's a really it's an honor to be here. So how many of you have heard the phrase, hit rock bottom? It's a pretty common phrase, um, and I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking about how it's this phrase, and the words that actually make up the phrase don't have anything to do with the meaning of the phrase, and we have a lot of those in English, like, um, cool as a cucumber has nothing to do with a cucumber. Weak in the knees has nothing to do with the ability of yourself and your knees. Um, and hitting rock bottom has nothing to do with rocks. So through the magic of Google, I decided to figure out where did this phrase come from? Why did we start saying hit rock bottom? And it actually, fun fact, comes from gold mining. See, when they're mining for gold, they hit the, when you hit the bedrock, that's the actual lowest point you can hit. And so when you've hit that point you can't dig any lower there's no more gold it's just the last the lowest point and so when we use it in our context that's why we're saying you know what we you usually use it in reference to maybe um, an addict you know they've come to their lowest point they can't go any further and that's why we use it you know it's that reference to hitting that very last point um, but the good news about hitting your lowest point and hitting rock bottom is that the only way up from there, or the only way to go from there is up, which is why I think that is the perfect description for our friend Jonah this morning. He has literally and figuratively hit rock bottom. So for those of you who are just joining us, or maybe you've missed the past couple of weeks, we're in a series in the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah is about the prophet Jonah. And he has been given this call to Nineveh. And so Jonah does this really unprofit-like thing, and he runs away from his calling. Uh, last week, Tom shared with us that he likened Jonah's calling to a Jewish person being called to Berlin to preach to Nazis. So this is a calling that Jonah's not excited about. That, that's why he runs. He's afraid. There's a lot of fear driven um, him to run. And so what does Jonah do? He hops ship towards Tarshish, which is a really fun word to say, and you should say it later when you're at home. Um, but he hops ship in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. And so he's trying to get as far away as possible, putting literal distance between him and this calling that God has given to him. So he gets on the ship, and while he's aboard, God brings about a great storm. And the sailors aboard, they're trying to figure out where is this storm coming from and they end up figuring out that it's Jonah and that he's running and they're trying to help solve the problem. How do we stop this storm from happening? Let's stay alive, guys. And Jonah's like, no, just toss me over. Toss me overboard. Because that is just how dedicated Jonah is to running away. He would rather be thrown into the sea in the middle of a storm than obey God. That is some serious dedication. And so now that's where we're at this morning. We're in, we're in Jonah, at, um, we're in chapter 1, starting at verse 17. We've got Jonah sinking in the midst of the sea. So if you could open up your Bibles with me, we are in Jonah 1, starting at verse 17. And it says this, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out from help from deep inside Sheol. He heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, would you speak to us through your prophet Jonah? Would you reveal to us how you're speaking through Jonah to us, God? Thank you that um, you rescued him with a fish that you send fish in the middle of a stormy sea just, just for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you've never read Jonah before, I, I can bet that this is probably the part of the story you're at least familiar with, right? You don't, maybe you've never read Jonah, you don't know his story, what he's done, but you probably are familiar with the story in the Bible of the guy who's swallowed by a fish. Um, and for many people, and maybe for some of you in this room, this is actually the part of the story that kind of gets difficult to believe. Like, yeah, I could believe that God would give someone a calling and that that person would run and that he would bring about a great storm. But I have a really hard time buying that a guy, a human person, like as tall as I am and as thin as I am, could actually be swallowed up by a fish, live inside of its belly, and be vomited back out and live to tell the tale. Like, I just... Some people have a hard time buying that. And here's the thing. Some scholars talk about, you know, how did he have the oxygen to breathe? How could he have fit through the throat? This, this is obviously just a parable that has been given to us. Um, but I, I've got kind of a spoiler alert for you guys. Um, in this book, there are a lot of miracles. God does a lot of crazy things. But in this book... A dead guy comes back to life. <laughs> that is a lot harder to pull off than being swallowed by a fish. And so I know that this can kind of seem crazy, but I think that if we're saying that we believe in God, we believe in the resurrection, we believe that God can do powerful things, then I think that we can say that God is possible of this. But what I don't want you to do this morning is to get really caught up on this part of Jonah, to not be able to see what God's actually doing in this story because you're caught up on this detail. So Jonah swallowed up by a fish in the belly for three days, and he prays. I, I just could imagine that feeling. Like you're in, in the water, you're gasping for air. If you've ever had a, a near-death drowning experience, you know that feeling of you're just trying to catch your breath, trying to grab at something, and you can't. And he's scared, and he's thinking, this is it. This is the end. This is how I go. And then suddenly... His lungs begin to fill, 
and probably not so suddenly. I'm sure it was a, a whole process to be swallowed. But, <laughs> but his, air, his lungs began to fill with air. He could breathe again. And I can imagine just like the shock that must have been. Like, yeah, I would have prayed too. That would have been crazy. And so Jonah finally begins to do a prophet-like thing. It's the first time we actually see him behaving like a prophet. And he prays. He finally turns toward God. And if you, if you read through this prayer, there might be some familiar pieces of it to you, like breakers and billows. That's some familiar. I feel like I've read this before. And that's because Jonah's prayer is kind of a hodgepodge of psalms kind of put together, um, which is why, guys, it's really important to know your Bible. Jonah's in the belly of a fish, and he doesn't have a handy-dandy pocket Bible that he can pull out and just be in the Word in this really dark and scary time. No, he, he can recall the Word of God in the middle of the darkness. And I think that's really important. So he may have been a man and a fish, but he was a man and a fish with the Word of God in him. And so if we also look at this prayer, it's kind of a two-part prayer. The first chunk He's kind of just reflecting on, you know, where he's come from, what brought him to this place. And then the second piece, the language, um, it begins to switch into what God has done for him. And if you think about this prayer, it's not really a prayer you would expect. Like Jonah's been on the run, like he's been running from God. And in my mind, at least if I were Jonah, my prayer would have sounded a little bit more like, God, what was I thinking? I should have just listened. I should have gone to Nineveh. I was being such an idiot. Please forgive me. But Jonah's prayer, it has a different language. It has a different tone here. Jonah is thanking God. Jonah is thankful. What does he have to be thankful for? He's thankful for the fish. The fish that came and swallowed him. See what an outside perspective may see as a bad situation, gone from bad to worse. Jonah's actually seeing as his salvation. God didn't save Jonah from the fish. God saved Jonah with the fish. And so with some time and some perspective, Jonah actually sees that this swallowing up as the thing that saved him. And I'm wondering, is this something you can relate to? Where are the fish at in your story? Are you able to reflect back and see the times in your life that God has used a situation that in the moment it felt like you were being swallowed up, but really was the moment that God saved you? Maybe it was the end of a toxic relationship. Maybe it was that you didn't get into that school you wanted to get into, or you didn't get that job. But whatever it was in the moment, it felt oh, like you were being swallowed up. But with some perspective and with some time, you're able to really see as what God saved you with. And what I don't want you to hear me say is that God saves us with really the really awful things in our lives. Um, I think that some of us have really experienced some bad things. I'm not saying that God gave that to you. But I am saying that God is the God who will give you a fish to deliver you from that awful thing. So something we've talked a lot about um, in this series is Jonah's running. It's a it's a big theme that we're talking that we've talked about so far. He's on the run from his calling, but he's also on the run from God. He got on his ship thinking he could escape God, but God met him with a storm. He got into the water thinking he could escape God, and God met him with a fish. There is no place that Jonah can go, nowhere he can run that he could flee from the presence of God. 
in Psalm 139, I think that it really details um, this about God and this attribute that God is omnipresent. He is, he is all places at all times. And so Psalm 139, starting at verse 7, says this. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle on the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So there isn't a space that we can go that God's presence isn't already there ready to meet us. Whether it's up high in the heavens or down low or any space in between, there isn't a space that we can't be found, be met with the presence of God. And here's the thing, Jonah knows that. He obviously knows his psalms. He's used them and prayed them. He's a prophet, so he knows, his, he knows the word of God. He knows that he can't actually flee from the presence of God, and yet he still tries. He still thinks that he's able to hide somewhere, even if it's as low as the bottom of the ocean. And we have this idea that we can flee from the presence of God. I don't think Jonah's alone in that. Some of you may know, um, I have a three-year-old daughter, her name's Nora, and Nora's favorite thing to do is play hide-and-seek, as I'm sure most three-year-olds love to do. Um, but here's the thing about playing hide-and-seek with Nora, she's not very good at it. <laughs> like, she's got two hiding spots she always goes to. It's our closet and under the sheets in her bed, and... We owe, like without fail, if we're playing, playing hide and seek, that's probably where she's going to be. And even if she did decide to switch it up on us and hide somewhere else, uh, she's not very good at hiding because she's got those sweet little giggles and that like you can't find me. <laughs> and it's really sweet. And but we we you know without fail, she's like let's hide and she hides and we did the whole like, gosh, where could Nora be? Where did she go? But we know where she is and. And without fail, we always find her because we know her. We love her. We're her parents. We, we happen to know that she has two favorite hiding spots. We know that we know the sound of her voice. I know that not all of you guys are parents. And um, if you decide to become a parent one day, bookmark this in your mind. Because the one thing I've learned about parenthood is all of the things my kid does to me, I'm doing to God. And... While Nora likes to think that she can hide from us, we also like to think that we can hide from God. And I'd like to think that God has a similar like stance to us as I do with Nora. And like chuckling, like, you're really funny that you think you can hide from me. Um, but I know where you are. We try to flee from his presence. And Jonah's literally on the run. He's literally running. But our running and our fleeing, it might look a little differently. You might stop praying. You might stop reading your Bible. You might stop coming to church. You might stop hanging out with community. You might just plunge deeper into a world without God. And if that's not an attempt to flee the presence of God, then I don't know what is. You see, we fool ourselves into thinking that if I divert my eyes from God, then maybe he'll divert his eyes from me. If we turn our eyes from God and from his word and from his church and from his people, 
then maybe we could just have some peace from this tension of this call that I just don't want. But that's impossible because there isn't a corner in heaven or on earth that isn't occupied by God or by his mercy or by his love or by his grace. There is literally not a place you can go that he will not meet you with him and who he is. I'm a runner. I'm not in the sense that like I literally run because I don't remember the last time I went for a run. <laughs> but when it comes to conflict and when it comes to things getting really hard, my natural reaction is to run away. When it comes to that psychological response that we experience in the face of fear, when it comes to fight or flight, I will take flight like 99% of the time. I just, I, I can't handle it. You can ask my husband. It makes having an argument with me a lot of fun. Um, and I think that's what happened to Jonah. I think in the face of fear, he was faced with fight or flight, and he took flight. He forgot who he was. He forgot who God was. He just took flight. And I hate to admit it, but... I can really relate to Jonah here. I spent years running from my calling. Luke mentioned that um, I've been wrestling with this idea that I've been called into ministry. Um, well, I started college thinking I was going to be a nurse. Um, but it turns out I don't really like blood. <laughs> you can't really be a nurse if you don't like blood. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. I, you know, it just makes sense. I really like kids, and I, I do that well. So obviously I should just be a teacher. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, hmm, the pieces of teaching that I'm excited about aren't really the teaching parts. So maybe I shouldn't be a teacher. I've got it. I'm going to be a counselor. I'm going to, I, I, really, I really love talking with people. I'm a really good listener. That's what I'm going to be. That's what I'm called to. And here's the thing. God could have used any of those professions, and he would have used me and done work in his kingdom because it's not really about me, but it's about him. Um, but the thing is, is all the while I was making these decisions of what I was going to do with my life, um, I was really pushing down and ignoring this call in me that was calling me into ministry. It took years, I mean, years, guys, for me to really grasp this call that God had for me. And it happened very recently. It was this past January. We were at a retreat, and I had two hours of solitude. And it was there that I just really finally felt God giving me this clear calling that he had been giving to me that whole time. I just, you know, was drowning it out with my own nonsense. Um, and... More importantly, I finally, not only had I come to the point where I couldn't run anymore, but I finally came to the point where I didn't want to run anymore. What I wanted was aligned with what God was calling me to. And that's the thing about solitude. I only had two hours. Jonah had a full three days and three nights. That's a whole lot of time to really spend with God and listen. And that's the thing about spending time in silence and listening. That's when God will really speak to us. So Jonah was ready to go to Nineveh just as I was ready to jump into my calling. Maybe rock bottom. Maybe what that really means is that you're finally getting to the place where you have nowhere else to run anymore. You're finally able to acknowledge that you need God. Maybe that is what really our rock bottom looks like. In his book, um, The Prodigal Prophet, Tim Keller, he says this. Only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, 
that you're finally open to learning to completely depend on God. You never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So you can spend your life digging in search for that gold. Maybe you're, you're mining. But don't wait until you hit rock bottom before you realize that the real gold all along was actually God's will for your life. Because God's will for your life is treasure. His calling for you is gold. And we go chasing down what we believe might be our calling or we ignore the treasure that we're given or we're called to. And we keep digging and digging, hoping to strike gold when the real gold was all along given to us in Jesus. So my calling was, has, I, I believe my calling has been into ministry. But what is God calling you to? It can be as dramatic as go to Nineveh. Or it could be get to know your new neighbors. Or it could be share the gospel with your coworker, Or it could be buy a meal for that person on the street you see every day on your way to work. And when, when he calls, which he will, what direction are you going to find yourself running in? Are you going to be running t- headfirst toward his calling? Or are you going to be running towards the first ship out of here? Just as the famous hymn says, we are prone to wander. It is our human nature. It is just how, how we roll, unfortunately. And there's going to come a time in your life when God calls you if it hasn't already happened, where God calls you. And it's, it's more than just your career. It could be so many different things that God calls us to do for him. But your natural reaction when that time comes might be to run away. Not even a prophet is immune to the urge to flee. So what we can do in that time is to prepare our hearts now. Because when that time comes, you'll be a little bit more prepared. You'll be a little more ready. Don't be like Jonah. Don't let it take getting into the belly of a fish before you're ready for deliverance. Mm -hmm. Think of it kind of like meal prepping. You know, meal prepping is like a really big trend right now. And you prepare all your food at the beginning of the week so that during the week when you get hungry, you have food to grab instead of, you know, going through Taco Bell drive-thru and eating something you probably shouldn't eat and spending money you haven't budgeted for. This is like meal prepping for your faith. You're preparing your heart now so that when that time comes, you're ready to grab what you need instead of running off for something that you don't need. So how do you do that? The first thing you could do is to do the work of planting your feet right now so that when that time comes, it's more difficult to uproot your feet and run. So how do you plant your feet? Well, it looks a lot like the opposite of running. It means spending time with the Lord, spending time with God, being a part of your community. Because when you surround yourself with people who, ha- who love the Lord and who love you, when that time comes and you really want to uproot your feet, you've got people around you who can help hold you down and help you, to help you stay planted into the, your faith, into God. The second thing you can do is to, um, is to ask yourself, why am I running? Jonah ran um, out of fear, a fear of his calling, and not to jump too quick ahead into future Jonah stories, but also Jonah may have been running a little bit because of his pride. Maybe he felt a little superior. Maybe he felt like the people he was called to preach to didn't really deserve God's grace. Another reason we might run, um, maybe you don't think that you're ready. Maybe you don't feel like you're equipped that 
you know, I, I didn't, I haven't read my whole Bible. I didn't go to seminary. I can't share the gospel with this person. What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? But let me say this. God didn't have to save Jonah because it wasn't really about Jonah. Jonah could have drowned as a consequence of his sin. And God could have just called someone else. But God pursued Jonah in spite of his cowardice, in spite of his childishness, because Jonah was called. And in God's great mercy and grace, he pursued Jonah in spite of the fact that he was running away. The third thing is to remember who God is. Because maybe if you remember that God is omniscient and omnipresent and he is all places at all times, then maybe you'll remember that you can't run. You could try to run, but you know that you can't. So if you remember who God is, then maybe you'll be less likely to try and run because you know that it's not even possible. And that's a good thing. God isn't over you like, oh, I'm going to find you. No, it's that loving like, you're funny that you think you can run. And I love you, <laughs> but you're funny. <laughs> and the last thing is to call out and pray. The first line in Jonah's prayer is, I called to the Lord in my distress, and you answered. You can't go down so far that your voice isn't going to be heard from by God. There isn't a single place for you to sink down so low that God will not answer you when you call out to him. So when you feel yourself running, when you feel yourself sinking, all it takes is a simple call out. You, you could be running for years, and it just takes a simple call out. So here's the good news. Even if you find yourself on the run, even if you've been running for years, and even if you do finally hit that rock bottom and you find yourself in the belly of a fish, there's only one way to go from there, and it's up. And it is met with the love of a loving God. Would you pray with me?